0: The Koigig Pod on Off the Ball. You do
1: get tired of winning. People say, oh, you never get tired. You do. You get tired of winning, you get tired of winning easily. You actually want competition in the
2: end. You want to have to work. Subscribe to
0: the feed in the OTB Sports app now.
2: Hello, Shane Hannan here, the host of the F1 pod on off the ball, which is available every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Some really great insight on today's episode upcoming as we take a look ahead to this weekend's Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal. Before we get into the episode proper, however, I did want to take a quick moment to mention our sponsors of the F1 pod, Chicago Town Pizza. And sure, when you're watching the Canadian Grand Prix action across the weekend, why not enjoy it with a pepperoni Chicago Town stuffed crust pizza? It's takeaway taste at home. It's the F1 pod from off the ball with thanks to Chicago Town Takeaway's unique fresh dough. Pizza? Yeah, we go to town on it. Now, without further ado, enjoy episode three of the F1 pod the F1 pod on Off The Ball with Chicago Town Pizza. Formula 1? Yeah, we go to town on it. Okay, you're very welcome back to the F1 pod on Off The Ball. It's episode three. We're flying through the episodes now at this stage uh, weekly between now and the end of the season. Live every Wednesday in the F1 pod podcast feed and the Off The Ball daily podcast feed as well. Wherever you get your podcasts, Uh, the F1 pod on OTB brought to you by Chicago Town Pizza. Real takeout taste for less with Chicago Town. Uh, We do want to hear, of course, your questions, comments and thoughts uh, on the F1 pod every week. You'll get myself on Twitter at ShaneHannon01. and uh, delighted to welcome uh, our guests for episode three. We have David Kennedy, the former F1 driver, commentator, managing director of Theodore Racing and director of Mondello Park. And we have Bernie Collins as well, F1 pundit and former strategy engineer who was most recently head of race strategy for the Aston Martin Formula 1 team. Bernie and David, how are things?
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us along.
2: Brilliant. Thank Excellent. you. Thank you. Thanks for hopping on to both of you. Um, it, it's a strange week. We, we will, of course, get into the the uh, the Canadian Grand Prix preview uh, as uh, we look ahead to, to Montreal this weekend with a bit of excitement. It's always an exciting one on the on the tour. Uh, it's it's a good night out as well, Bernie. I hear like it's it, it's one of those tracks that um, people remember for the for the nightlife as much as the race itself.
1: I'm worried about what you've heard. To be honest, um, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that comment. But yeah, Montreal is. Are oh, we like we will get into the race specifically later, but. Um, the city really embraces F1. There's loads of street parties everywhere you go. They close down a lot of it. It becomes like a real festival atmosphere. And you tend to get that a lot with these tracks that are really rooted in the centre of the city. It's one that the teams enjoy to go to. It's a bit odd in that it's middle of the European season and suddenly we jet off to Canada. But I think it is one that everyone embraces. Just It's a beautiful city um you know and it's it's so nice to have sort of wander through or um yeah it's a, it's a good weekend
2: yeah it's one of those uh awkward ones we spoke about jet lag on the show last week and it's kind of it's one of those where you're, you're all of a sudden trips and equipment and and people and resources halfway across the globe uh, but i guess that's the nature of the sport and um, we will get as you said we'll get into the, the, the race preview as uh as things stand ahead of this weekend but um did kind of strike me when I was watching the, the the tennis at the weekend and Novak Djokovic picking up a another uh, Grand Slam title. Um, that the usual conversation comes up between Djokovic, Federer, and Adal in terms of the goat, greatest of all time. Um, David, I might start with you on this one. Like the Formula One goat conversation comes up quite often, and you can look at it, I guess, in different strands. You can pick uh, world titles, whether it's Schumacher or Hamilton, or or you can use another, uh, I guess, measure as to how you choose. How how do you how do you look at that conversation?
0: I suppose basically there's, there's two parameters which I would take stock of and uh, best is not necessarily the fastest and uh, when you break down into that component uh, fastest or best I used to fly out to Japan when I drove for Mazda and on the flight I'd often bump into Erica and we'd have a chat and we'd talk about um, uh, different aspects of motor racing and, and he sort of uh, alluded to the fact that maybe he could have had more victories if he was a bit fitter, if he, he, he made less mistakes. Uh, and um, but so so there was one. There is no perfect human being in any aspect, being in sport or in any other area, um, uh, unless you are talking about Eddie Jordan, of course. Um, but um, it's it's uh, it's just uh, I, in terms of speed, I would look at and Senna. Is, is statistics? A, 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 across the races that he'd entered. He would be, in my book, the fastest that 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 there was. And, and really, that is certainly an outstanding performance. And, and then to that in ratios, you'd have Schumacher and then Hamilton. That's in terms of speed. In terms of best drivers ever, I, I would have a slightly different view because I began as a teenager reading books. The only source of information, There wasn't the internet in those days. And I used to walk to the libraries, the um, Carnegie Library in Dundrum or in Sandy Ford and take out these, these life stories of incredible uh, sportsmen and race drivers and motorcyclists as well and I discovered an incredible Italian race driver called Tazio Novellari. and he just puts everybody else in the shade into what he's done and, and the vignettes in his life story are quite incredible and, and you would learn so much from somebody's life story and I would always give these to drivers that I would manage or, or try to deal with and said, if you read the autobiography of a race driver, you've learned in one week what it's taken him 60 or 50 years to learn. So, so for me, the best racing driver, as you rush to your uh, Wikipedia page to try to find out who Tazio Nuvolari is, is quite a remarkable individual. And I put him down for me as the best race driver of all time. And just to put it in context, actually, the, the, the there was a beautiful piece that was written about him um, when, when he was um, uh, driving. Uh, uh, and it, it, it said, and Mimbalari was <coughs> not simply a racing driver to Italy. He became an idol, a demigod, a legend, epitomising all that young Italians aspire to be. The man who did the impossible, not once, but habitually. He was the David who slew the Goliath in the great sport of motor racing, he was the
2: maestro. Beautifully part of it. Yeah, that puts it very well. I hadn't, I honestly hadn't, hadn't been familiar with his story, but I'd, I'd definitely be looking it up. Uh, you don't know
0: about him. You have to get out more often. This
2: yeah, is- absolutely, 100%. Uh, I was sticking with the Senna argument for my one, but Bernie, <laughs> Bernie, where are you landing on, on, on this GOAT conversation in Formula One?
1: I don't know if I can follow that answer. Um, <laughs> incredible to listen to. Um, I think I could listen to David speaking about it all day. It, it, I think... You know we look at the tennis, and that's not my area of expertise by any stretch, but you do see those people, and I think that a number of other sports are more comparable across eras, whereas f one motor racing has changed so much, the cars have changed, the techniques have changed, the steering wheels, the driver, it's everything has changed, and it has become a sort of David alluded to, I guess, as all sports have more about the physical side, you know more driver psychology. I do agree. on what David said, the difference between you can get an ultimate, fastest qualifying driver, but that doesn't necessarily make the best race driver. And that's where the points are scored and that's arguably where the you know, the, the accreditation comes. You, you get some interesting stats now on how many races in the season Verstappen's won, but you need to look at that as a percentage of the overall number of total rate. We've got more races now. We've got no, more points now. So it all needs to be normalized in some way. You can't just say, he scored more points than anyone else in season. Well, yeah, of course he has. There's more races and each race is worth more points. So there's loads going on there. As well as that, there's, you know, all of the the background stuff. A good example is the year that Rosberg beat Hamilton. Mm. You know, my impression is that he was fit to beat Lewis by just digging deeper, working harder, stead for all the meetings, did all the research, looked at all the overlays, really... Really, really worked, you know, to the point that almost that retirement, you know, looking back on it in hindsight was inevitable because of the work that he put in. And you get, you know, the Hamilton Verstappen argument now. I find it really hard to compare to Senna. I grew up watching Michael Schumacher, so there's a soft spot there. You know, there's there's lots of. I find it really hard to compare across the eras, and you've also got the likes of you know our current Alonso who would have definitely scored more championships had he just made smarter team moves. Mm. You know, the the, the Hamiltons the Verstappen's of this world, yes, they're very, very quick, but they've also made the right move at the right time. You know, a lot of Hamilton's championships, because that Mercedes was largely unbeatable, Verstappen's in the next few years potentially going to be the same. Whereas Alonso just always chose the wrong horse. Um, Now, this year he's made a good move, but but let's see how that comes. But there's more to it than one lap speed that's going to be in those record books, which I think that's not necessarily the same in tennis. In tennis, the work you put in is maybe more directly the work that you get out. So I've I've not given you an answer there. I've just talked around it, but that's sort of my opinion on it at this stage.
2: That's a fair point because similarly, like I interviewed Dennis Irwin this week, the former Manchester United footballer and Republic of Ireland footballer, uh, and and he was being asked, you know, when his team won the the treble, the Champions League, FA Cup, and Premier League, and in, in football in 1999, you know, was that team better than the current Manchester City team that's just after doing the same thing? And and his point was the same as your as your own. You know, you can't compare compare eras too easily, do you know that you have to look at there's so many different uh, uh things you have to look at in Formula One, as you say, is, is one of those sports where you really can't compare the eras too well because the car's changed so much. Um David, on 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 Ayrton Senna, like I'm curious to get your 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 thoughts on on that that tragic um crash that took Senna's life in, in nineteen ninety four at Imola, like what what are your memories of, of that? Like where were you when, when you heard that news? Because I'm sure that was a a ground shaking moment for the sport.
0: Uh, yeah I am Met, first met at the when I did television commentary for OTE when he raced in uh, Mandela Park uh, and I got to know him. I was on the top of my career. He was a kid coming through. Uh, you could clearly see that this kid could uh, walk on water, uh, such was his talent and just his ability to be able to handle a car and and, and watching him qualifying and get, getting to know him. In fact, I have sort of a, a bit of a mad anecdote, just to paint a picture for the kind of guy that he was. I remember in one particular trip, we were going out flying out to Japan, and um, I'd be in business class, and he'd be in first class, and there'd be a difference of maybe ten thousand pounds of the ticket in those days. So uh, I would wonder what was up in first class. And so so Erwin came down, and we were chatting away, and I mentioned to him about a race that he lost, very very ordinary race in Formula Four two thousand in Brands Hatch, where. British driver called Calvin Fish him, And I brought this up in conversation. This was early in a 12-hour flight. You cannot believe this, thing, but for 12 hours, he told me why he lost that race. <laughs> Tire pressures to the valves and springs to... And he went on and on. And I left the seat to go to the bathroom and think, hope he's gone when I go back. Uh-huh. And I came back and he was still there to tell me passionately. And if I could have opened up that window at 32,000 feet... Uh, at 600 miles an hour, I would have climbed out onto the wing. Just <laughs> He was absolutely bordering, I'm not going to say maniacal, but a religious fever, and, and he wouldn't let go. And I said, I was just a bad day. Oh God, it wasn't just a bad day. It was the end of his world. And he continued telling me about the nuances. Uh, it was quite striking. And uh, um, this was the intensity that he had about what he did. Uh, certainly, look, I think the world came to a stop in terms of motorsport when he died and, and, and all the conspiracy theories about that. It was a mechanical failure. Clearly, that corner's taken flat out and the steering failed and you can see the correction you try to make. And, and as a driver, you know instantly what it is. Your brakes have failed, your steering is gone. Uh, uh, and you'll employ sort of a, a preconditioned reaction. And that was such a tragedy uh, in how he died. Um, and of course, I was selling helmets at the time and we thought we had just just moved to showy helmets and then he went back to bell helmets and there was issues about failure of the helmet and all the rest. But certainly just, just it was um, end of the world for that moment in the world of motorsport when he died
2: it's incredible that story just how um uh, intensely he even remembering the race that he lost never mind the details and speaking about it for so long um shows the mark of the man and how competitive he was i guess um it, it's it's funny cuz Erton Senna came up in conversation again this week with um Lewis Hamilton's upcoming Apple documentary as well, Bernie. And, and this is, I think he basically said he wants to try and emulate Senna's iconic behind the scenes documentary from years back with his one. I know there's been one in re- more recent years on Senna as well. Um, Drive to Survive has obviously increased interest in, in Formula One naturally in, in recent years. Are you someone who gobbles up all these F1 documentaries and films when they come out or, or do you kind of leave that to the to the Geeky fans, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting because I might do more so now, but when you're doing 23 races in the sport and your weekend off, you don't necessarily come home and watch more F1. Yes. Um, occasionally, if there was a really interesting race where you thought you'd miss something, then then for sure you would. And, you know, the last cinema film that came out more than a documentary, I remember going, I was working at McLaren at the time and they sort of paid for, you know, a cinema and walking that a lot of the staff could go and watch it all together. And, and that was interesting because... Um, one of the mechanics that worked in Zena's car was still working at McLaren at the time and I actually recognised him just based on the watch that he was wearing that was still the watch he was wearing back then you know, as he's leaning into the car to do the belt or whatever um, so yeah I don't, I don't watch loads of them I think it's going to be really interesting because it's got, it's, it's a big year in terms of these documentaries for Lewis mm-hmm. he's doing the documentary with Apple and in, I believe there's a F1 film coming out with Apple as well so one more on the documentary side one more on the you know I guess a bit showier, a bit more storyline to it. And it's going to be a real interesting because Drive to Survive we obviously get a glimpse of individual teams or individual stories but it's a very small glimpse each year or each season and this I get the impression is going to be a much more follow through of how the preparation goes, how his weekend goes, how he reacts to good weekends, bad weekends, all these sorts of things. So it is going to be really interesting and it will be interesting to compare to that older version and see the differences, see how the games progress, see how the engineering's changed, see how the driver mentality's changed, you know, all these things. So it, I'm, I will definitely watch that, particularly, you know, my interest probably more spiked with it being people that you know or events that you know or, you know, there would be people in the team that you know, so. Yeah, I think there's that's definitely two things that, that Lewis is working on are going to be interesting to come out of and, and see where we end up with those.
2: There was even the the McLaren documentary in 2017. I remember it was, well, it was kind of the story, I guess, of, of Bruce McLaren and how he founded McLaren Motor Racing in, in New Zealand and that sort of thing. I, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch that. I know obviously from working in the team, I guess, uh, years ago, a lot of people probably watched it with a lot of curiosity, I'd imagine.
1: Yeah, I think I watched it at the time, but I'm one of these people that want to watch something and I instantly forget what it is. So. Yeah, <laughs>
2: I'm yeah. the same. I'm the same. To be fair, that's it's And it's one of those things. And I totally understand that when you're invested in the sport like you were 23 weeks of the calendar year, as you say, and all the traveling that comes with it. I can imagine that when you get your weeks off, you just want or your weekends off. You don't want to talk about Formula One. Never mind. Watch a,
1: a yeah. documentary. Well, the thing that I always, you know, used to have the season review and equally i always watch Drive to Survive because it comes in that sort of off-season period. So when you get like a season review or, you know, the summary of what happened last year, you always think of the races at the start of the year. You've almost forgotten what happened during those. And particularly when you're working in a team, you know, I watched the, the Drive to Survive at the beginning of this year and you think, God, I've forgotten how bad the first few races were for us. Right, mm-hmm. so I'd forgotten, you know, you'd forgotten some of the, the trauma that you've gone through or, you know, sometimes it off, sometimes that's how good, but less often that for me. Um, but you sort of, it's it's interesting to look back and review and that sort of visual way what happened or from an outsider's point of view. So I, de- I definitely do try and I think it's something I'll probably try and do a bit more going forward.
2: Are are you someone, David, who consumes these? I know that, like the, even the louder, uh, the untold story from twenty fourteen. There was one a couple of years ago on, um, the Juan Manjo, Manuel Fangio story as well, a life of speed, I think it was called. It are are you someone that watches these? Uh,
0: yeah, and not just on for research purposes. Um, I mean, there's there's an educational piece if you're involved in the sport from several different aspects, which I have been for for many years. But also, I would also know that the side players as well, the engineers, the mechanics, the team managers. I would have worked with them. I would have sold for them to them. I would have driven for them. So there would be a whole raft of uh, personal connections that 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 I would have. Now, uh, certainly, the Senate documentary was was really outstanding. Um I loved the Stewart Jackie Stewart, a very smart and capable man. Um, he's always very interesting, uh, and I remember. I'd have a personal involvement with all of these people. Jackie helped me in my very early stages of my career when I was just starting in Formula 3. And and I was quite struck by the time he could give you and and his advice, his deep, meaningful advice, which at the time you sort of struggled with. And I remember one particular occasion I had some problem in Formula 3 and I was explaining it to him. He said, no, David, the way to look at this is every problem is an opportunity. And I thought, how does that work? (laughs) But it was just the fact that take a step back and review it rather than have it in the front of your face. And, and so many other things. I remember in this documentary he talked about, you know, I'll always under-promise but always over-deliver. So there were lovely little pieces that you'd get from, from these documentaries and personally knowing them as well. But here's the one. Here's the documentary. And and, and knowing that you don't now get out that often, chain I want you to take <laughs>
2: it
0: in, in your hand. I don't want you to write this down. <laughs> and you probably may have seen it, actually for me the best documentary is Crash and Burn from Tommy and um, I helped put together the book with Mark Hughes and Tommy and just in case you don't know he was one of Ireland's elite race drivers that had won everything in just an absolutely rocket ship way I think one of the quickest drivers from club racing to Formula One and um, and he just about got everything he could personally and um, team wise get Wrong in the worst possible manner. And it makes for a most in- interesting documentary now. I've been contacted recently by um, a group led by Camilla Leslie, who is a scriptwriter and, and Castle Leslie fan. And she's now put a script together for the Hollywood version of this mm-hmm. documentary. So, you know. um maybe not Michael Farrell or or like um um Michael Fastbender rather or might he had a bit of a shunted Le Monde this week if you <laughs> manage to see that. So so there there's that the, the momentum has begun for that for a Hollywood movie. So I'm really looking forward for that. Uh, I won't be giving it um to any driver because it shows all the things you're not supposed to do and maybe in some way it's a good thing to look at it. For. so for me documentaries Crash and Burn by Tommy Tommy Byrne.
2: I have to agree. And I know I know I, I don't get out much, as you say, but uh, I, I have managed to see that one funny crash and burn. I, I, it was a couple of years ago over COVID. I think I interviewed Tommy over over Zoom and I made it made an effort to watch that in advance. And Jesus, you're you're not wrong. The stories <laughs> like the the uh, the drugs and the drink and, and nearly getting shot in Mexico. And, and like his story is more uh, it sounds like fiction, but it's not, you know, yeah. it, as you say, it's all the things a driver shouldn't do, I guess.
0: Oh yeah, indeed. And funny enough, actually, um, you're probably going to discuss it later. You mentioned you're going to talk about women in motorsport. One of his girlfriends was Giovanni Amati. And, and Giovanni and Matti um, raced uh, several times in Formula One, and, and, and she was a high-profile person in Italy. Um, and was kidnapped, and they kept her in a coffin. Uh, I mean, truly shocking story, and and. Uh, I don't know whether that was worse than going out with Tommy Byrne, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it certainly would have been a bit more entertaining, I think, with Tommy. He was, he's just such a character. And there's so many pieces, actually, that they haven't put in that movie or in that book that I personally know of. And I just tell him, you need a good lawyer here,
2: Tommy. Yeah, 100%. No, that's that's a, a brilliant recommendation, Crash and Burn, for anyone who hasn't seen it. And I know Ayrton Senna was someone who, who thought highly of, of Tommy and his driving skills as well uh, from, from chatting to him. So uh, that's, that's a brilliant recommendation and um, we sh- we should touch on uh, there's talk this week, Bernie, of of uh, a contract extension for for Lewis Hamilton. We, of course, had the stories a couple of weeks ago, of rumours of moving to Ferrari. And, of course, that was in an off week when the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix was, was cancelled. So maybe people just wanted something to talk about. Um, Reports this week saying he's closing in on a on a multi-year contract extension with Mercedes. So this new deal, reportedly, again, will be were, were worth £50 million pounds a year, five zero, uh, which would trump Max Verstappen's uh, annual salary with Red Bull. Uh, and it's also suggesting it will be his final contract in F1 as special clauses will be included that we'll see him become a Mercedes ambassador once he retires apparently um so it, it leaves mercedes i guess not having to worry about a replacement uh, for a few more years still good news for 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 lewis mercedes and formula 1 i guess if uh, if this comes to fruition bernie
1: yeah i think if it does come to fruition you know i think all expectation is that it will and that he will sign a new contract I would be highly surprised if he went anywhere else. He's very embedded in the Mercedes team. They've built a lot of the car around him. You know, I think he's very comfortable there. The team go to great lengths from what I know to make sure he's, you know, has what he needs when he needs it, that type of thing. So that team is very centred on Lewis Hamilton. So to change would be a big thing. I think he's going to be looking to the future. So they have obviously given him enough of a promise that the car is going to be competitive. And that's the reason why Lewis is staying. Lewis isn't staying for the money or for, you know, a third position car. He's gonna be staying because he thinks next year or the year after, they're gonna have a car that's gonna be capable of winning again. And and all of these drivers are very, very competitive people. And that's all they really want to see. Now the upgrades that that Mercedes have already brought in the last few weeks are going to really encourage that conversation along because he's going to see light at the end of the tunnel. Um, So yeah, I'd be very surprised if it doesn't get signed. It's interesting that he's signing it as definitely the last contract he's ever going to have an F1 because we have had so many drivers in the history that have left and came back or, not had a contract and moved to a lower team because they still want to do, you know, continue some driving in some aspect. And and even if he wasn't fit to be competing at the front, which I don't see in the next few years for Lewis, but even if he wasn't, his ability to teach a younger driver in a back of the field team or a lower down the field team is still so strong. You know, the might that he could bring to one of the lower teams is huge. So, even when he did retire and even if he was non-competitive, he's still of great value to the field and great value to Mercedes as an ambassador, I think. It's interesting from a team side when you have these drivers that are very focused on what they're doing and we talked about Lewis having his film and his documentary there's lots going on in the background it's often very hard at the track to get these guys interested in any sort of marketing you're trying to do and the marketers are always running around trying to get a driver to some sort of commitment or another so it's interesting that he's already said he's going to do that marketing stuff in the future because I know that they all hate it now Um. But yeah, I think I think it is good for the sport. He's done a lot for the sport in terms of diversity, you know, pushing the questions forward. So
2: yeah, it's it's really positive from my side. Mm, good move, for sure. And even just interesting to see during the week, Nico Rosberg um, blaming uh, Lewis Hamilton for any Max Verstappen retirement talk that was kind of cropping up as well, which is an interesting one. You get all these stories that go on behind the scenes, I guess, consistently. In, uh... I find
1: that interesting because he said... You know he Lewis would have pushed him quite hard that year, and they did push each other hard that year. But it speaks directly to Rosberg's experience, doesn't it?
2: One hundred percent. Which is
1: it? You know, if if that quote had been turned around and someone was saying about about
2: Rosberg, you the quote still
1: stands. It's really
2: interesting quote. Yeah, you can read between the lines there. I think on twenty sixteen (laughs) and whatever else you might believe, um. We, we might just take a quick uh, ad break here guys because there's loads still to get into uh, f- uh, females in Formula one we'll of course look ahead to the Canadian Grand Prix as well uh, in Montreal this weekend Um, so if you're listening it's the F1 pod on Off The Ball it's episode 3 we've David Kennedy and Bernie Collins the last voice you, had, you heard there and we'll be back in just a second The F1 pod on Off The Ball with Chicago Town Pizza Formula 1 yeah we go to town on it Okay, you're very welcome back to the F1 pod on Off The Ball. It's episode three and uh, we're weekly between now and the end of the season. Every single Wednesday in the F1 pod podcast feed, in the Off The Ball daily podcast feed. Uh, it's myself, Shane Hannon, and we're, we have David Kennedy, the former driver, commentator, managing director of Theodore Racing and director of Mondello Park. And we have Bernie Collins as well, uh, the uh, former head of race strategy for the Aston Martin Formula 1 team. Also worked with McLaren and uh, now an F1 pundit as well. I uh, we did want to touch, guys, on this um the F1 Academy. So for uh, for young girls, this is a really interesting initiative. Um, Susie Wolf uh, saying a new program, She is Spearheading, will have a huge impact in increasing the number of girls and young women entering motorsport. Uh, and she says, uh, without it, we are going to run out of young women entering the sport. So it's a, a Formula One new academy series for young women. It's a campaign aimed at giving eight to 12-year-old girls particularly a first step uh, onto the motorsport ladder. Um, David, I might start with you. This is... This is um, This is an interesting initiative from Susie Wolf, but also so important. I know you'd have a lot of experience of of racing against female drivers in the past, but it would be great to see more and more of them in the future.
0: Uh, This is a numbers game. Um, One of the businesses of motorsport is how many license holders there are. That's your captive pool. And, 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 when I ran Grand Prix Racewear, that, that were they were the figures you looked at, how many license holders were there in Japan, how many license holders were in the UK or in Ireland. And that was your customer base. And I think globally, there's about 1% female license holders. So your chances are remarkably diminished just by that parameter alone and um, now there have been some good initiatives and um, you've had uh, the FIA had the Motorsport Commission I think in 14 years hasn't produced a, a Formula One driver the Formula W, w was interesting it really um, put a lot of drivers to the front there gave them extra publicity and, and Jamie Chadwick was um, the winner He's now Racing in America with the Andretti team uh, and um, 25, not sure whether she'd be able to make the break from there into Formula One. She's certainly a highly competent a driver. And she raced against the driver that we ran um, in our status days, uh, which was Alice Powell. Uh, and Alice was as quick as any of the boys that we had. Probably made a little bit too, m- too many mistakes Overly aggressive, uh, to camera down on occasions and, uh, but she was super well connected. And, and some of the advantages that the females have is that they're maybe more interested in them from the sponsorship point of view and the publicity point of view. So much so, actually, we had a dinner with David Cameron. Such was her connections because he, she was based in his constituency. So, so it was, um, uh, so she just lacked that last little bit of getting more finance to be able to really give herself a, um, a chance. But I think this new initiative is quite good because it gets the girls at a much younger age. And really, when, when you look at um, the females that, that have been in Formula 1, there have been five, and um, I've raced against two of those. It's been in Galissa, who was... Um, a British skiing champion, competed in the Olympics, uh, raced against her in the British F1 and sports cars, and Desiree Wilson, who raced as well. And she began as, I think, a five-year-old in in midgets in South Africa. And she was a a winner in the British F1 series, which I competed in. And um, she was an outstanding talent. And I think possibly, again, there wasn't the momentum to to get a woman into Formula One as there is now. And I think she certainly deserves a place on the grid. Remember, it is a very rarefied atmosphere. There's 20 sportsmen in the world. When you look at football and rugby or how many sportsmen represent their countries, there are hundreds of thousands. In Formula One, the pinnacle, there's 20. So it's a highly rarefied atmosphere. So whoever it is, a man or a woman, have to be really, really talented. But you've got to begin early. And I think this is what may happen now with Susie's Wolf's initiative. It's got to get the kids when they're really young.
2: It is about visibility too, Bernie, isn't it? Because you look at even the the Irish women's football uh, team heading off to the the World Cup in Australia uh, just next month. And like so many young girls probably picking up Uh, football for the first time in the last year or two seeing them and and their success there was even an anecdote from Susie Wolf when she spoke about this initiative in the last week or two and she said there was a recent event at her son's school and she said there was this little boy who was really into F1 and he was asking Susie for an autograph Uh, and this girl from my son's class was standing there and her mother said oh you know Susie used to race and and the little girl was uh, her response apparently was what you were a racing driver but girls are not allowed to race and and isn't isn't that really what this is all about uh, Bernie as well because that's that's the attitude, I guess, for, for for many young girls. They don't realize that this is a potential pathway for them.
1: Definitely, you know, it is about visibility, and it's visibility throughout. You know, all of the the industries that we see, you know, within F one, and I speak about my experience from from engineering. It's about getting. You know, David's totally right. It's a numbers game. You know, you're trying to pick the the best drivers. You're trying to pick the best engineers, the best whatever it is. But let's talk specifically about drivers. You're trying to get the 20 best. But if the percentage of women in that pool is so small, then then naturally it's it's not going to happen. For me, it's about visibility on two fields. It's one about those little girls thinking that this is a viable way forward. This is possible. She's done it, whatever it might be, you know, to see that representation you know, the the W Series or the F1 Academy as we have now, to see a podium with girls on it, girls doing well, girls competing at that level is very important. It's also to a degree we're speaking about people starting at four or five. It's also to a degree about getting parents or sponsors or whatever, looking at these girls as viable opportunities. It's viable to start them in a car. It's viable to try them in a car at that very young age when maybe they haven't expressed interest themselves necessarily. But it's about building that entire, getting rid of the entire stereotype across a whole range of of sports and and disciplines. Just that anything is possible. Should you have, you know, let's face it, the right resource. And it's about creating that pathway. So even if you've done carting from from five to seven or eight, then having the next step available, is there some progression there? And it's that progression, I think, that's been lacking up to this stage from, from those that I speak to. I don't have experience in the carting world myself. But it, we are getting better at it. You know, the TV coverage, all of it is getting better at showing girls in the pit lanes, showing girl mechanics, showing whatever it is and just saying this is all possible. It's all feasible and there are routes out there for people to take. So everything that we can do to highlight is going
2: to make the competition stronger. And and that's really positive for me. And you were, you were one of those as well, Bernie, that, that, you know, these people, that people would have seen with the headset on in, in, in the pit lanes and, and. Uh, it's the same with the punditry now as well like I'm sure even when you, when you graduated from wasn't at Queen's you know and you went in as a trainee with McLaren like it's probably even developed in terms of heading towards equality so much more now than, than it was even back then
1: yeah the, the numbers have, have changed you know I did mechanical engineering at Queen's we actually didn't have a bad representation although it was you know something like 10% in that class um but then you went to, to the their one the design office, and there was very very few females. Or I didn't really think a lot about it. And nobody, um, in my home life or in university, said, "Oh, girls can't be mechanical engineers." But you do meet a lot of people out, um, you know, chatting to someone in a bar or whatever. And you will. I when I was doing gearbox design, that was the pinnacle of it. When you were doing, you were sort of say what do you do and you're like oh i'm a mechanical engineer i design gearboxes for the f1 team people just thought you were mental you know um and it's just about breaking down that so that people don't see it as a, a dirty boiler suit job they see it as a design aspect a good professional career a step forward so it's just about overcoming that and when i watched TV as a kid or I watched F1 as a kid there was none of the pit wall was visible it wasn't necessarily there was no females it was just you didn't really see you just seen the drivers and we are getting much better at that and I get questions more questions that I can answer about how do I get into F1 what do I do you know for my next step so it's about encouraging that and I think we are as a community getting much much better at encouraging all our young people that engineering is good, that motorsport is a good career, that there are opportunities there for you um, to move forward. Particularly, I think we need to speak to our to our Irish audience. A lot of the teams are based in the UK, but there are really viable opportunities out there that we can make towards those steps.
2: 100%. Absolutely. And, and long way that those improvements continue, definitely heading in the right direction, as you say. Um guys we might as well turn our attention to to this weekend and we've the Canadian Grand Prix in in, in Montreal uh, a fan favorite for for many people david it's it's one of these races we spoke about the nightlife briefly earlier uh, which adds to the whole fan experience i guess but um even remember the incident in 2019 when you had hamilton taking on vettel and vettel was with ferrari um, and and uh, Hamilton eventually wins after a time penalty for 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 Vettel. So uh, and I think that was the one where Vettel moves the the number one sign in front of Hamilton's car to his own Ferrari car. It's all there's always exciting races. Um, but it's a track that that really brings up uh, the best in, in in many drivers. It's always uh, there's a bit of a buzz around it.
0: Yeah, you, you look at the background there. Uh, you have uh, multiple winners. Uh, by m- multiple talent drivers, if I can put it in that context. You look at Schumacher's number of victories on Hamilton's, uh, uh, they've won a, a, an inordinate amount of races there. Uh, it's easy to get suckered into a mistake when you're travelling at such high speed and you're getting it down to such slow speed corners, then it's easy to get that 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 wrong, to make that error. But uh, it, it has been one of my favourite events for different reasons. Um. It's just a fabulous city, Montreal. It's a university town. Uh, there's a lot going on um, all around. And, and I remember one of my very visits there, and this is slightly uh, off the main frame uh, topic, was that the maitre d' of the hotel, or the, the concierge, we were chatting to him, and he was saying, "Oh, there's a big Irish uh, uh, input here in, in Montreal, and I said, I wasn't aware of that. He said, yeah, go down to the old docks. And there in the Old Duck, you find a road called Rue de Irlandais. And say, go there and tell me what you see. So um, what a fascinating little introduction. So I hopped in the car with uh, Peter Collins and uh, another Collins, my kind of co-commentator, Hawkeye, and and we shot down there. And we, we saw this huge, lugubrious boulder on this huge kind of football field with all these bumps. And written on the, on the stone, this, this enormous stone, which was, Taken from the mouth of the Saint Lawrence River was here lies the unmarked graves of several thousand Irish. Quite incredible. From the famine, they just buried them where they died and left them there. It's Irish memorials, no Holocaust. Really, an enormously emotional thing to experience. So, for me, it has another draw, another attraction that you're you know visiting another story uh, far away from
2: motorsport. Yeah, hundred percent. No, that's that's definitely something people should should visit. I remember going to Montreal myself. I didn't get to that, um, in, in my time there, but it is a city of such culture and 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 history, and and as you say, the university town, which adds to the, I guess, the nightlife element of it as well. Um, just a really really good city to visit. Um, I, I guess for the race this weekend, it it it's it's probably less interesting than the culture behind Montreal, Bernie, because you've got the The procession, I don't really want to use that word too often, but I mean, it feels like you were almost having a groundhog day when you're previewing these races some weeks because, I mean, if Verstappen was to pull out another 25 or or, or even 26 points in Canada, that would increase his lead over Perez to 78 points if if Perez was to get zero points this weekend. Um, And at that point, then the title is almost over. So it's tough to see anyone beating Verstappen again this weekend yeah i think
1: it it is realistically tough to see anyone beating verstappen i think that you know canada if we speak just of the the race itself you know traditionally a one stop race it's got a very very low pit loss so it does push towards more stops if people can get away with it um but i think you know verstappen's going to largely just should be in control from everything we've seen so far a few interesting things maybe going to raise their head this year or this yeah this weekend and that there's a good potential for rain on Saturday and Sunday. Now that mixes things up a little bit as always. It's a a great equaliser and you get the odd random qualifying or, you know, a a silly mistake, you know, like the Monaco's that we've seen this year making that decision between the inter and the dry it can push those elements of 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 where people finish. So that's going to be interesting. The thing with that too is the Stappen has shown himself in the past to be very good in the wet so it shouldn't necessarily throw that away from them, but it does add that extra element of danger and it will definitely mix up the rest of the grid. It's going to be interesting, I think to see another run at the Mercedes upgrades. We've seen them in Barcelona. We've seen a strong Mercedes car there, you know, their first double podium this year, or their first to have two on the podium in quite a long time. So, can they continue to improve that upgrade? Good straight lines, you know, Monaco is, or not sorry, Montreal is all about the straight line speed, you know, they've got those slow corners. So, there is going to be some interesting elements on show there. Um, I'm interested to see a Ferrari. Can improve what they show, what we've seen in Barcelona. They were disappointing to me in Barcelona. When you start to look through some of the data, they should have been stronger. Um, And then the other question mark is McLaren. McLaren had really bad straight line speed in Spain, and Montreal requires it. So is that a setup choice they made going into Spain in order to improve their qualifying over the race pace, and will they go for a slightly different? a different strength this time I'm not sure so sure so I think we're just going to have to switch our mindset a little bit let's see if something interesting happens with this happen but it's the remainder of the positions on the grid that are going to be exciting and interesting and quite close calls in terms of when the pit stop happens or the reactions to safety cars which I think we've seen three in Montreal or between safety cars and VSCs in 22 um, so there's still a lot to look out for I'm not just uh done on the race
2: yet yeah not just yet and it was even as you're saying the, the the slow corners I was reading some notes from Pirelli heading to the race and they were talking about the decision maker making behind the, even the tyres how important it is you've got the traction coming out of slow turns stability under braking agility when changing direction all these elements to consider and as you say as well Bernie the, the weather um, and conditions can change quite quickly in, in Montreal as you say from, from wet to dry and fluctuations in temperature as well uh, which all have to be taken into account. Um, I yeah,
1: guess it- Montreal is oh, one ahead. that's really, really hard to read the radar as well, because mm. you know, for anyone who doesn't understand the um, circuit situation on an island in the river and any rain, rain coming across the city, it comes across the city, then it hits the river, then it hits this little island. So it's really hard sometimes to read what's going on there. And it's often really windy as well because you're basically in the middle of this river. So there's quite a lot, I think, to potentially happen there with that.
2: Yeah, makes the the job of the the race uh, strategy engineers like yourself uh, back in the day a bit more difficult. Uh, you certainly earn your money th- those weeks, um, and and I guess uh, David from from Verstappen's perspective, you you want to uh, avoid heading into that famous wall at the approach to to start finish. So like you see the list of people that have uh, gone into that wall. They call it the wall of champions for a reason. Michael Schumacher, Damon Hill, Jenson Button, Jack Villeneuve. Um, so Verstappen won't want to enter that list, for example, this weekend.
0: Yeah, it, it, we've seen it time and time again. It, it's probably one of the corners that you can make a difference on, and you've really got to commit into that. It's super fast, and and I've seen some extraordinarily brave and sometimes extraordinarily stupid manoeuvres there where they'd get it totally wrong. In fact, what comes to mind is that that is a really good overtaking spot with the, the DRS and, and the ability to be able to tow each other it, probably one of the most dangerous moves I'd ever seen in motorsport was one that Damon Hill pulled on Michael Schumacher. He was like, their hands in the air. Surely it's the other way around. It had been on many occasions, but this one was Damon cut back left, right, and left again, and knocked Michael Schumacher out of the position to being able to overtake. And it could have been, if, he, if they tangled wheels... What you've got in that super fast corner is the pit straight. The car would have gone down cartwheel down the pit lane. I mean, it was so close and British media made nothing about it. Those commentators alongside me at the time just threw their hands in the air thinking this is the most dangerous thing they've seen in many long, many a long year. And It's not too malice. The driver sometimes just instinctively reacts. If you ever get a slow mo of Villeneuve and Schumacher when the World Championship was at stake in Jerez, and Villeneuve dies down the inside, and Schumacher instantly turns the wheel. There's no, you don't think about it. He just reacted like a racing driver, blocking. But the result was that uh, he, he took himself out of the race. And you know, people try to make something bigger than, than than it is. It's it's nearly the nature of the beast. And that was an extraordinary bit of TV. And it it's been hasn't been really picked up on uh, in terms of dangerous moments in motorsport, but. Um, yeah, you were mentioning about victories there. I mean, I, I think 88 was when, um, I think it was McLaren and Williams, Then I remember they had this huge dominant run, but no team has ever pulled off winning every individual race. Um, and I don't think that's going to happen. I think Ferrari are getting their act together, understanding their tyres a little bit more. Vassar is a fantastic... Team manager, he'll he'll sort that out if he's given the latitude. Uh, and look at how Mercedes are coming through in terms of speed; they, they've they've got a car certainly it was showing super quick times at the um, pit lane um, at the start finish zone because again, difficult to read the speeds when they run different aerodynamics. As Bernadette will tell you, capital reverse on that. But uh, no, I think he, he he has a he's a is a challenge ahead of him this weekend for Stirling
2: it's it's going to be an interesting one i was even reading as well david that the i think this weekend is the 50 year anniversary of the, of the time the safety car was first seen in in formula 1 which i hadn't realized whatsoever but it's 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 amazing how even the safety car has developed over the years uh, and how we've got to this point even the last 10 years how it's developed in terms of safety but uh, i know it leads to some some moments of disappointment when it comes out for 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 viewers but it's it's one thing that over the last half half century has developed so much
0: yeah, needed. Obviously, look at uh, when you have an accident on a car's off the circuit, you can't have drivers driving at, at speed anywhere near that. And, you know, there has been fatalities because there hasn't been discipline. The safety car does that. Um, and also in a bit like uh, sport or tennis, when, uh, when you've lost your set, it restarts again. And in a way, some ways, I, I don't think it's a bad idea. If the safety car goes out, everybody gathers up again, roll of the dice, uh, and, and and go again. Certainly makes for more entertaining value if you have a total reset rather than control the pace, get the safety car out, everybody to pile up together again, and, and restart the race again.
2: Uh, before before we go, guys, we should uh, get the predictions for for this Canadian Grand Prix this weekend. I know it's it's difficult to predict, uh, certainly the podium, but. Uh, I swear, starting with yourself, Bernie, it was it was reading um, Fernando Alonso after the Spanish Grand Prix, and he was suggesting that that race was the first and last time he'll finish off the podium this season. You gotta love the you gotta love the confidence uh, from Fernando Alonso with Aston Martin. You can't argue with it, I guess. In some ways, the way he's performed. How how do you see the race going in terms of the the rough podium? Any surprises or?
1: I wasn't expecting to ask me that. I should have been really more prepared. <laughs> but I'm not the one you No, know, I, I don't think so, and I. I Alonso is a very confident character, um, but I was just thought Mercedes did well last week, and I don't see that changing significantly. Let's say for Canada, so uh, I would be thinking that you know in a normal race you should have Verstappen stop and Perez, and then I would guess Hamilton or Russell. Um, I'm sure Alonso will do everything he can to prove me wrong, um, and it does at times play to the strength of the Aston, but. I'm going to say the Red Bull and Mercedes.
2: Interesting. And David, how do you how are you heading for this one? Uh,
0: well, look, it's it's going to be too boring to say for a and, Um <laughs> So, I mean, to, where uh, to mix it up a little bit? I think it's going to be Hamilton. that's going to score another victory, and and for the crack, let's have a Ferrari in there and a long in the third place. Yeah, do something different this, this is the model
2: yeah no I love it I'm, I'm here for it and if, and if it comes up you look like an absolute genius and if it's wrong we'll we forget all about it next week so. <laughs> exactly yeah it's 100% what are your three Shane oh see I knew it was coming I
1: don't want you coming back to me saying yeah, that I've yeah. got three and you don't I'm
2: coming. going to I'm, I'm gonna go with the boring I'm going to go the boring one Verstappen uh, to win uh, I know it's easy I'm going to go Perez number two and I'm going to go Alonso his cockiness has got the better of me and uh He's he's come around, so I'm going to say Aston Martin on the podium as well. Um, Fair enough. So we'll see, we'll see. But so I just on it when when the driver is So I shouldn't be so drawn in by a, a Formula One driver's arrogance because they're all that cocky and and egotistical. But um, yeah, I, I just think there's something about Alonso that uh, the Spanish Grand Prix will will fire a rocket a rocket up his ass and he'll be right, raring to go. Should be a good one that's uh, episode 3 of the F1 pod and off the ball in the book so as I said weekly between now and the end of the season get your uh, comments and questions and all the rest into us uh, on Twitter at ShaneHannon01 that was David Kennedy and Bernie Collins as our guest this week we will be back next week to review the Canadian Grand Prix have a good one
0: the F1 pod
2: on off the ball with Chicago Town Pizza Formula 1 yeah we go to town on it